Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. So I'm really, really excited um, just to, to share with you guys uh, what, I, what I feel like the Lord is saying. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag on a little bit to what we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, um, hopefully we'll have that podcast out soon. But we were talking about the completed work of resurrection, what the completed work of the resurrection actually did. And, and so I, I, I want to go... I want to go deeper into that today. Um, It's imperative that we live our lives from the place of the power that was exhibited at resurrection. It's imperative that we do that. It's imperative that we understand that the power that was released at resurrection and ascension when, when, when Jesus ascended, that that power that was released is available for us right now in 2019. It, it's so important. Um, speaking of 19, I need to say this. Guess what? Awakening Church is going to be six years old next month. Can you imagine that? Isn't that awesome? May the 19th, that's actually the day that we launched. It was May the 19th in 2013. Um, then it was Pentecost Sunday. It won't be Pentecost Sunday this year, but, but then it was. Um, and, and so it's going to be amazing. We have a very, very special guest coming in, uh, just a, an, an amazing man of God. Matt Petrie is going to be with us that day. And uh, for those of you that don't know Matt, um, he's amazing. And I have to be careful because sometimes I think Rebecca likes his preaching more than she likes mine. And so, um, no, I'm just playing uh, a little bit. But uh, <clears throat> listen, Matt, Matt is awesome. Matt is awesome, and um, when we moved back, I'm not going to go real deep into this, but when we moved back to Louisville, we kept our home the whole time, but we were traveling a little bit. When we came back, Matt and Travis and Kat and uh, Petrina and Chris and Danica and several people had moved into Louisville to pray, and man, that was, that was so amazing. We felt like that they were the answer to some of our prayers because as we left, they transitioned in. And um, so it's just an amazing story. So uh, May the 19th, Matt will be with us. We got all kinds of other awesome things that are happening. Prayer meeting this week um, at our house, 7 o'clock. Um, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And so you're going you're gonna to want to come take advantage of that. <clears throat> if you don't pray, then I don't know, shame on you or something. Not really shame, but we don't do shame. We don't do shame. See, that's the thing. You start changing your language. You can't even say what you said forever and ever. You know what I'm saying? You start changing your language and trying to honor and have positive words and all stuff. You can't even, the way, you know. I was going to blame it on the way I was raised, but my mom's here, so I'm not going to say that either. I just can't say nothing today. So I'm just going to preach in the Holy Ghost. Are y'all good? (laughs) Funny story when I was a teenager. You know, I have funny church stories. That's because that's just what I did, right? I've told you all I had a real bad drug problem, right? I was drugged to church Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday, all, you know, all the time. Uh, but my uncle, he was preaching, and he pastors the church here in town. He was preaching one night. Man, he was going, you know, I'm a teenager, or at least I was early 20s maybe, but probably a teenager because I started really early. But uh, so he's preaching, man, and he's getting it, and all of a sudden he's like, you know, just preaching, and then he just lets out a big run, da da ba Did you understand what I'm saying? And I was like, no, I missed that right there. I didn't, I didn't catch that. It was funny in the moment because, you know, he was so serious. He wanted us to get his point, but he started off preaching in tongues, and so we missed it. 
anyway, those are the kind of things when you're a church kid that are funny to you. Those, everything else was a sin to be funny. Back then. <laughs> See, y'all laugh at that because you know it's true. Listen, as a, as, as a young adolescent going through puberty, I was convinced I was just going to hell all the time. <laughs> you young men know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't, I, there's no chance. You, you have those thoughts, man. I hope nobody knows what I'm thinking. Jesus, you know, you didn't know how to deal with it. But I don't know that the church knew how to deal with it either. <laughs> Just to be honest, absolutely nothing to do with what I'm saying today. Let's go to John chapter 21. John 21. You know what we need to do? You know, we've done panel discussions sometimes what we need to do one time you all would love this I promise you would we just need to get two stools up here and let David Mullins and myself just go back and forth telling stories but y'all would love that y'all would love that we would totally incriminate ourselves but you would love it you would absolutely love it I'm going to talk to you I'm going to ask you today to, to really put on your 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 thinking caps, because I, I want to talk to you about some stuff today. And um, if you ever take notes, today is totally the day to do that, to, to write some stuff down. And so, um, because I've, I've got just uh, all kinds of stuff that's bubbling up in me. And I, I want to say that, that as I was writing, I literally had to stop because there was so much that was coming. And so this, I don't think we'll get through everything out of this passage that, that I want to talk about today, but but I do have several things I've got to get to you, okay? Um, so we're talking about, uh, you remember last week I said that the faithful witness had made us kings and priests. It was the completed work of the resurrection that solidified our identity, okay? That's what we talked about. And, and so I want to go a little deeper into that today and share with you what I feel like the Lord is saying. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to say a few things uh, first, and then we're going to go to John 21. So we'll start in John 21 and read several verses, and then we're going to bounce around a little bit. But let, let me just say a few things, okay? And, and um, yeah. So when, when, when people, uh, when you're studying the Bible, you have... You have the life of Jesus that took place, and then you have post-resurrection, right? And a lot of people will refer to those uh, instances where Jesus showed himself after the resurrection as a post-resurrection narrative, okay? So, so he's died, uh, he, he's been placed in the tomb, he's resurrected, and then he shows himself. Um, Luke said this to Theophilus, um, which, by the way, means lover of God. Um, and so I, I want to say that when Luke wrote the book of Acts, I, I really don't believe he was writing it to one person. I think he was writing it to you and to me. Theophilus literally means lover of God. And, and so when he was writing that, he said that, that Jesus showed himself to the disciples with many infallible proofs that he had been resurrected. And he did this as a man. We were talking about this a little bit the other day, and so I'm just going to, uh, uh, we were in, in the coffee shop, and we were talking, and it got kind of late, and we were like, "Why? hold on, what, what, what are we doing here? But uh, <laughs> Because some of the thoughts that I'm, that I'm having about this, um, I just want to talk with you. He was, he was the resurrected Savior, and he was so much a deity that he would walk through the walls. He didn't have to use the door, right? 
but then he would eat physical food with them to prove that he really was still man, okay? And so I, I want to talk to you about some post-resurrection narratives, but I want to I say this because I feel like it's really important for us. Post-resurrection narratives are not limited to the ones that involve Jesus physically, but are continued in and through us from generation to generation. I want to propose to you that your life that you live is a post-resurrection narrative that is yet being written. It doesn't just involve the physical manifestation of Jesus showing himself to the disciples. If we do that and we think that it's limited by Jesus just showing himself to the disciples, what we do is we build this doctrine around the fact that when he ascended, he went far, far, far away from us. Now, I'm not going to go real deep into this, but, but I, I believe, I, I'm actually convinced that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that he was literally traveling between dimensions multiple times coming back and forth. How can you say that? When Mary Magdalene saw him, she said, he said, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my father, which indicated that he would have to travel to his father and then come back so that Thomas could then touch the wounds in his hands. Okay. So, so if that's the case, then is he still able to do that? Absolutely. I'm just weird thinking, but, um, so post-resurrection narratives are not limited to ones that involve Jesus physically, but are continued in and through us from generation to generation. The post-resurrection narratives, listen to this, are the hinges upon which the door of the kingdom swings that opens the reality of on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say that again. The post-resurrection narratives are the hinges upon which the door of the kingdom swings that opens the reality of on earth as it is in heaven. The ascension of Jesus did not change the fact that the word had become flesh and dwelt among us. It further solidified the concept of on earth as it is in heaven. The ascension did not change the fact that the word had become flesh and dwelt among us. It further solidified the fact that Jesus gave us this mandate on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know that many of us, and we've been, we've been talking about this for months and months and months, so, so this is not new to us, but I know many of us have had this idea and this concept in the way we were raised that, that really we're going to have to just suffer through everything on earth, but one day when we get to heaven, everything's going to be good, and on earth as it is in heaven has to do with the millennial reign, but it doesn't. Otherwise, Jesus would have never told his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus have them pray a prayer that could not be answered until they either died or the rapture of the church? That's not how he operated, okay? So, so the ascension didn't change that fact. It further solidified the concept of on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want you to see this. Jesus looked so different after resurrection that his disciples did not recognize him. Jesus looked so different after resurrection <clears throat> that his disciples did not recognize him. Romans 6 says this. Romans 6 says that we were co-buried with Jesus, and if we were co-buried, we were co-resurrected 
with Jesus, okay? So now listen, let me just say this. I told you, I want y'all to put your thinking caps on and, and, and focus and, and get in here because this is really, I'm, I'm going to say some stuff and my mind is going a thousand miles a minute. So I'm just assuming you're all probably his too. So <laughs> let, let me say this again. So Jesus looked very different after resurrection. My post-resurrection life must look different than it did before or I've missed the power that's available through resurrection. My post-resurrection life, death, burial, and resurrection, as even as witnessed in baptism, it is, it, is a, a, it is a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6 is talking about baptism. If we were co-buried with Jesus, we were co-resurrected. And here's what I want to say. This is what I want to say to the church at large and to us individually and to generations that are coming up because there's... This, this doctrine is going around, and, and if you're not careful, even, even understanding that we're not looking at things from a justice perspective anymore, if you're not careful, we'll start thinking, oh my goodness, it's a free-for-all, and we can do whatever we want. That's not the case at all. My, my post-resurrected life, when I really encounter the power of the resurrection, it's going to cause me to look different. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to challenge the fact, was I really resurrected, or better yet, did I really let that old man die? Did I really let that old man die, or am I thinking, and, and this is the most dangerous doctrine that I think is, is around today. It's not greasy grace. That's not the most dangerous. That, that's just ridiculous, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know, uh, but it's tied to this. The most dangerous doctrine that I think that is circulating in the world today is that I can just add a little bit of Jesus to my current situation and stay the same way that I am, and not so. It is, not, it is not even a reality to think that I can just add a little bit of Jesus to my existing life that's going on and expect that everything's going to be okay. First of all, if that's the case, you're not letting him be the Lord of your life. Secondly, he's not going to dwell with the junk, and he's not going to be in competition with stuff that's in your life. So one of two things either has to happen. You're either going to hold on to it and continue to say, I struggle, I struggle, I struggle. No, 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 I want, I want, I want would be a little more accurate. But, but, or you're going to have to let him really do something that causes you to look different after he raises you up and lets that old man die. Are you with me? I'm going to show you this in the life of Peter in just a moment. I'm going to show you exactly what Jesus did. Okay, so my post-resurrection life must look different than it did before. Watch this. Can I just say this to the church? That shouting that Jesus is alive actually does very little to prove to the culture that he's alive. You can go out there all day long. And you can say, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. And that does very little to prove the fact that he's alive. But if they see that you're not the same that you were before you encountered this man, Jesus, that's going to preach something to them more than your mouth ever could trying to declare that Jesus is alive. I've said this for some time. The, the best form of apologetics is not that I can defend the gospel. The best form of apologetics is that my life has completely been changed. It's completely been turned around. And what I used to do, I no longer do because I've encountered the resurrected Savior. 
And, and, and so just shouting at the culture, and see, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this because I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And, and, you know, inevitably you start dreaming, okay, what are we going to do to affect the culture? You, we talked about that last week. But just shouting to them, Jesus is alive and he can change you and all that stuff, that, 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 that does very little to cause them to change. But when you actually go and build relationship with them and they see that the dysfunction that you used to be in is no longer allowed to function in your life, it literally causes them to begin to say, I want the thing that's on the inside of you, not the thing that you can just tell me about. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. John 21. Starting at verse 1. I'm actually going to read 19 verses, and, and, and then I'm going to go completely away from that and come back to it in a little bit. <laughs> Later, Jesus appeared once to a group of his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day while Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your nets over the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did, as he said, and they caught so many fish they couldn't even pull in their net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him and I love this phrase in the Passion Translation. Because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. Now, let me, let me explain why that's funny, okay? So John is writing this, right? John, John is writing this. The first time that we see any sort of exertion, John wants to let everybody know that he ran faster than Peter to get to the tomb. He did. He said, the one whom Jesus loved ran on ahead and got to the tomb first. I don't know why John felt it necessary to tell us that he was faster than Peter. So I almost feel like he was trying to build a culture of honor right here. And like, I'll get you back, Peter. So because he was athletic, he just, I'm faster than he is, but because he's athletic, just the Bible's fun, guys. So because he was athletic, I don't know. The other disciples, verse 8, the other disciples then brought the boat to the shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to the shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. Then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you caught. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net. Oh, man. I really wish I hadn't stopped writing on that because I'm just even hearing some more. Pulled the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153, but even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them, and not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs. Jesus said, 
Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices, and you went where you pleased. But one day, when you were old, others will tie you up and escort you to where you, do, you would not choose to go, and you will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said to Peter, follow me, okay? Lots of scripture. Catch this. This is a prophetic picture of post-resurrection kingdom realm becoming a reality, okay? We're going to jump into some other gospels for me to show this to you. This is, this is a prophetic picture of the post-resurrection kingdom realm becoming a reality. There were kingdom realities that Jesus declared and demonstrated to and for his disciples that they and we were always supposed to function in. Okay, But they could not, however, function in these realities until the death, burial, and resurrection that would solidify what they had been taught and re release the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, All right. Jesus spent three and a half years teaching them about the, the fallacies and the holes that were in the religious system that they were a part of. Okay, He spent three and a half years talking to them about the fact that they couldn't see him correctly. Okay? Are you with me? All right. He did this because the former system had no ability to see him as Messiah, nor did it have the capacity to hold the abundance that he was going to release. So I want you to hear that, that he told the disciples for three and a half years, he was teaching them that they had to see him correctly and that they had to be able to increase their capacity to be able to handle what he was about to release. Can, let me just stop right here and say, sometimes we don't have what we think we should have in the kingdom because our capacity is not what it should be. Okay? If I have, I can only hold what this bottle can hold. I can, you can keep pouring water over and over and over and over again, but it's going to spill. It's going to be lost because I can only hold what that is. If I want more water, I have to get a bigger bottle. I have to increase my capacity. And that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. You got to learn to increase your capacity. Some of you are asking, Lord, I want more revelation. I want more revelation. You have to increase your capacity to be able to handle and walk in the revelation that you're asking him to receive. Lord, I want to do this. I want to do that. You got to be able to have the capacity to hold what it is that he's wanting to release to you. And you can't get mad at him if he's trying to pour something in and all you've got is this bottle. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? So capacity is really important. It's one of the things that I'm praying all the time. God, I, I'm, because here's the deal. God is not just withholding stuff from you. It is not his nature to just withhold from you. It's not his nature to hide from you. But sometimes we can't handle, and he has given me this revelation in correction. Ryan, you're not ready to handle the weight of inheritance because I, I don't work for inheritance, right? Inheritance just comes. And so he will, he will tell us in, in certain times, in, in places of, of gentle correction, that if we can't handle what it is we're asking for, then it's going to be held up until we're ready to handle it, whether it be maturity or capacity. That's good preaching, Ryan. Hallelujah. Okay. 
So watch this. The first encounter that Peter has with Jesus, he's fishing and he's catching nothing. The very first encounter, not John 21, the very first encounter. We're going to read it in just a minute. He encounters Jesus, makes slight adjustments based on what Jesus tells him, and catches more fish than his equipment can handle. The nets began to break and had to be mended. Everybody say mended. Which means that what Jesus had caused to come to them, they could not handle based on the effectiveness of the equipment or system that they were using. Now, I don't have time, but I'm going to come back to this at some point, all right? So just make a mental note that another time I'm, I'm going to bring this in. Jesus gets in their boat. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5 in the New Living Translation. Jesus gets in their boat, which is a vehicle. Vehicles represent ministry. If you do inter- dream interpretation, prophetic interpretation, vehicles, the change of a vehicle, it, it really represents ministry. There's, there's cars, there's boats, all this stuff. So Jesus gets into the current vehicle that Peter was using, He begins to preach, and Peter's catching nothing. He makes a slight adjustment based on what Jesus says, even in the same vehicle, and he catches more than what the vehicle or the net can actually handle. The nets break, and the boat almost starts sinking. The vehicle almost starts sinking, okay? Are you with me? All right. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore, this is him calling the disciples in that story I was just telling you. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore, the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water, so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners into the boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. The vehicle and the equipment that they were trying to use to get the harvest that Jesus was releasing from his mouth could not handle what he was releasing. Okay? Hallelujah. Matthew 4, same account. Leaving there, Jesus found three other men sitting in the boat, mending their nets. Two were brothers, Jacob and John, and they were with their father Zebedee. Jesus called to Jacob and John and said to them, Come, follow me. Notice what they were doing. They were mending their nets. Everybody say mending. Okay, stay with me. The word for mending right here, it comes from the same root word as the word equipping. Ephesians chapter 4, Jesus ascended and gave gifts to men, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, for what? The equipping of the saints. It's the same root word for mending. Equipping and mending, same root word. Equipping means this, to refit a ship or to set a bone. Something is out of order and has to be reset or refit. So because the nets couldn't hold the catch, they had to be mended. Because the religious system of that day had to be corrected, 
Jesus, after resurrection and at ascension, gave the gifts, we just talked about apostles, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, that would equip them to do the work of ministry and hold the harvest that was coming. So once again, we see that in resurrection, it solidified the release of a new identity to the church. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? If you have ears, listen, I'm not talking just about nets breaking. I'm talking about a system that was broken, and he uses the same word as he's releasing gifts to the church, the system that was broken, so that he could fix it, so that they could then handle what had been released. I'm going to tie this together with John 21 in just a moment. But I want you to understand what he's doing. They're trying to mend the nets because the harvest that he's releasing in the current vehicle that they're in has no capacity to hold what it is that he is wanting to release to them. And so the nets start breaking. Their equipment is breaking down. And all they know to do is to call other people, and it can't happen even with other people. The vehicle starts sinking because it's not equipped to handle the release that Jesus is giving him. Notice this. Master, we have worked all night long. But if you say it, we're going to do it again. So it was just the encounter with Jesus and the word that he releases that causes what they had been trying to do all night long in a moment to be changed So much so that what they had been working all night long to do with the equipment that they had been using had no ability to handle what it was that he was releasing. Let's look at this progression in the life of Peter. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to prophesy to Peter about his identity and the way that he saw Peter. Matthew 16, you remember this story, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets, right? Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? You are the son of the living God. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. Jesus is talking to Peter about the way that he can see things. Peter, he says, I'm changing your name. I'm going to call you Peter. And on this rock, it's Petra, it means rock. On this rock, I will build my church. On what rock? On Peter's shoulders? Not exactly. On the fact that Peter had the ability to see Jesus correctly. Okay? I want you to get this progression. I'm seeing some stuff in this story in the life of Peter that I've never seen. Peter, based on the way that you can see me correctly, I can build my church. I can build the ecclesia, the governmental family, right? Okay. The same chapter that he blesses Peter and says, blessed are you because you're seeing this rightly. The very same chapter, just a few verses later, Jesus is trying to reveal his real identity and the fact that he will have to go through death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter says to the Lord, no way. I will protect you. Same chapter. Peter, you're the rock. You can see me correctly. This has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood. Jesus, there's no way I'm going to let you do this. Satan, get behind me. You can only see from the viewpoints of man. What kind of perception did Jesus have? What kind of perception did Peter have? You, You see what I'm saying? Okay. 
Peter, you're a rock upon this rock I'll build my church. Right after this, Peter is rebuked for only being able to see through the eyes of man regarding Jesus dying. Watch this. Jesus begins to prophesy to Peter who he is before Peter ever has the ability to understand who he really is. See, Jesus doesn't have to wait for you or for others to understand what he says about you. He's going to call out your true identity before you ever get there. Remember what I taught you guys a few weeks ago about John 17, that Jesus is having a conversation with God, and he says, restore me to the glory that we had before time began? Watch this. Y'all may not care anything about this, but this blows my mind. I know y'all like it. I'll preach to y'all all day long. Seriously, listen to this. He says to Peter, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church upon you. This is prior to denial. This is prior to ear cutting off. This is prior to cussing out a little girl. All of this stuff. He looks into his identity and says, how can Jesus do that? Because Jesus can prophetically look into your life from post-resurrection reality because he's outside of time speaking into time. And he literally remembers the conversations that he had with the Father about you before you were born. Jesus. So he's prophesying to Peter that he'll be the rock, knowing that Peter is about to be rebuked just a few verses later. Can I show y'all some more? This is so fun for me. I I hope y'all aren't bored. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 through 34. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Watch this. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Look at this next line. Remember this after you have turned back to me and have been restored. Make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. I'm going to throw this pulpit, the mic, and everything. I'm not playing. Can, can, can you hear what Jesus is saying? Please hear this by the Holy Ghost. Peter, my dear friend, listen what I'm about to tell you. Satan has demanded to come and sift you like wheat and to test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this after you've turned your back, after you've turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. But Lord, Peter replied, I am ready to stand with you to the very end, even if it means prison or death. Jesus looked at him and prophesied before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Jesus. Peter, I've prayed for you. After you turn back to me, let me ask you a question. Did the prayer of Jesus fail? Peter, I have prayed for you. After you turn back to me, he's looking at Jesus face to face, walking with him. Peter, I've prayed for you, but after you turn back to me, did the prayer of Jesus fail? Or was he prophetically praying from the finished work of resurrection to call Peter into his ultimate identity? That's, that's nasty. He's looking, it's, it's as if I could look at Jackie 
and I could, I could see every mistake. I could see every misstep. I could see every mishap. I know she's only got two, but I'm just saying I'm exaggerating. Kurt would agree. <laughs> I'm looking at everything, and I'm calling out her destiny before she ever gets there. I see the past failures. I see her present life, and I see the future Jackie. This is what Jesus is doing when he looks at Peter. Let me help you. This is what Jesus is doing when he looks at you and begins to say things to you and tell you things that you feel like you have no capacity to handle. You feel like you have no capacity to function in. He's telling you things like, hey, listen, I'm going to bless your finances. You just got your electric cut off three weeks ago. I'm going to bless your finances, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to bless your children. And you're sitting in the closet hiding from them right now. Jesus' name, I need you to come take care of these babies. And he'll start telling you prophetic words about them. Why? Because he's not moved by the circumstance that you're in right this minute. He can prophetically see from post-resurrection realities that who you are and what you're doing is what is really going to line up with what he spoke about you before you ever were formed in your mother's womb. Jesus' name. I feel this. When Jesus declares a word over you as the great intercessor, he's praying from the place of all knowledge, declaring the completion of your identity based on not your ability to do it right. Can somebody say amen? When he is declaring a word over you, he's not saying, man, you are so good and you're going to do that right. No, he looks at your failure. He looks at the present failure. He looks at the future failure that's coming. Because guess what? There's more coming. That's what he did for Peter. Peter, I've prayed for you. And you're going to fail. What? I have prayed for you. And when you turn back, you're going to turn your back on me. When you come back to me, I'm going to go ahead and call you out and say, you're going to lead these guys. Jesus. When he declares a word over you, he's praying from the place of all knowledge, declaring the completion of your identity based on the completed work of his death, burial, and resurrection. He looks into the past, present, and future, which includes all mistakes, mishaps, missteps, that we think, watch this, we think they disqualify us from our fulfilling our rightful identity. But he speaks to us from the completion of the words that were spoken over us before time. Watch this. Your repeated failure. Your repeated failure. I, 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 I pray for y'all. You're going to fail. I pray for me. I probably failed four times this morning. You understand what I'm saying? Your repeated failure, my repeated failure is no match for the power of resurrection. My repeated failure is no match for the power of resurrection. When he declares a word over me, when he declares a word over your children, he sees everything. Listen, I, I, I sat there and I, I literally was, was 
fighting, breaking down into a sobbing mess in the coffee shop because he's talking to me. He's talking to me about your kids. He's talking to me about my kids. And he's saying, listen, I got this. I've got every portion of this covered because I know what I spoke over them before I ever put them in their mama's womb. And I didn't do that based on your ability to raise them, right, and make it happen. I did it based on the fact that I knew before time began that I was the lamb that was slain before for the foundation of the world and I knew that I was getting up out of that grave and the power of that resurrection is pulsing through your family and through generations to come and so I'm not telling you based on your talent and ability I'm telling you based on the fact that I got up Jesus name I feel this alright alright back to my text John 21, that's a good introduction, right? This won't take long. Look, Jesus knew I'd tell y'all that, and he's already covered it with his resurrection, so I can preach for three hours right now after saying that right now. My repeated failure and ability to tell time. <laughs> e, bye-bye. Okay, watch this. Watch this progression. Jesus told Peter who he was, Okay? I want y'all to get this. He told Peter who he was. Jesus rebuked Peter for not being who he was supposed to be. Right? Peter, you are the rock. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven, you're able to see me rightly. Get behind me, Satan. You can only see from the viewpoints of man. Same chapter. Y'all ever have those days? Same hour. Man, you just feel like, oh, man, I am doing The heavens are about to open. And 10 minutes later, you're like, I am coming from the bowels of Sheol right now. That's, that's KJV. The bowels of Sheol. Hades, whatever you want to say. Seriously, you all ever feel that way? Right? See, the difference is when, when you really get this when you really get this perspective of, of being the righteousness of God, what happens is you don't let that 10 minutes later where you feel like all hell has broken loose, you don't let that determine the rest of your day. Yes, it happened, but him getting out of the grave so that it didn't have to continue to happen also took place. Okay, so, okay. Je Jesus told Peter who he was. Jesus rebuked Peter for not being who he was supposed to be. Watch this. Jesus paid, prayed for Peter from the place of the completed work of the cross and resurrection. I've prayed for you, but you're getting ready to deny me. Jesus tells Peter that he would utterly deny him. Jesus tells Peter that after he has turned back to Jesus, then lead your brothers. Think, think about what the disciples thought who heard that. Are you with me? Think about what the disciples thought when they heard that. Peter, you're going to deny me, but you're going to come lead these guys later on. The devil? I'm over here doing everything that I'm supposed to do. The only one that's really crazy is Judas, and you know Judas was over like, somebody else's. <laughs> they, they're going to write stories about somebody else and not just me. Right? Come back and lead these guys after you turn back to me. Hallelujah. Watch this. The love of restoration based on the completed work of the resurrection takes place like this. 
Let's go to our text. Verse 4 and 5 of John 21. I'm going to hurry. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was him. He called to them saying, hey, guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Here's what Jesus is asking. Remember all that I just taught you about the mending of the nets, right? Here's what Jesus is asking in John 4 and 5. After three and a half years after resurrection, let me get back into this same scenario and ask you something. Are you still using the old system? Do you still have the old mindset? Do you still have the old equipment trying to do what I've been teaching you for three and a half years to do? Let me ask you today. Do you still have this justice concept where it keeps you from understanding that you really are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That's what Jesus is asking his disciples. Are you still using this old system? Verse 6, Jesus probably. You all have seen that? That Jesus probably said this? That I literally wrote that in my notes. Jesus probably. Let's try this again. <laughs> this time with a net that has been mended and solidified by resurrection. The new system. Here's what's really interesting. They're in a boat. We don't know, but I'm just going to take a guess. It's probably the same boat that he was in the first time. So it may be the same vehicle. Why? Because Jesus comes, and in honor and in grace, what he will do is he will show you that the equipment that you're trying to operate in in the vehicle is never what he really intended for that vehicle. Listen, I, I went through a season in my life where I was like, man, we're not planting a church and we're not doing this because the church, da, 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 da. And all of that was coming out of a place of hurt. Because guess what? I got into Bible again and I found out that Jesus paid for a church to be glorious and triumphant and he's coming back for a church. And so all these people that are out there, I, boy, I hope they're watching this Facebook Live all the apostle networks and all this other stuff that's out there that we're not going to have a church and you're going to do. He paid for a church. What he didn't pay for is for it to look like what you thought it was going to look like in the old system. That's what he paid for is for it not to look like what I thought it was going to look like because my net couldn't handle what he was trying to bring into the vehicle. And so Jesus is telling them, listen, let's try this again with a different approach to see what happens. Verse 7. I love this. John heard the voice of the Lord. Let me stop just for a moment here. John heard the voice of the Lord, and he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Why couldn't Peter hear the voice of the Lord? Because Peter was still hearing the rooster crow. Peter was still hearing the crowing of the rooster, letting him know that he had failed, letting him know that he had to walk in shame. Letting him know that he denied Jesus. Letting him know that he had missed the boat. Letting him know that all of the stuff that he was saying with his mouth that his rear end couldn't cash, it was all coming along. And he can't hear the voice of his beloved because the rooster is still crowing, right? The crowing rooster was drowning the voice of the one that Peter loved. We know that he loved Jesus. He tells us that three times, and Jesus acknowledges that. You cannot let the shame of your failure continue to cause you to miss the voice of your beloved. Watch this. Let the prophetic company around you help you to move past the pain of past failure. That's what John did. 
John was the prophetic. If you study scripture, you see this picture of John as the prophetic, Peter as the apostolic. John is the prophetic. The prophetic has to have the apostolic. The apostolic has to have the prophetic. Peter couldn't hear what was going on because the mission had been so skewed. That's what the apostolic hears. The mission had been so skewed because of failure, he couldn't hear Jesus calling. But as soon as the prophetic unveiled, not Peter, you blew it, Peter, your boat's in a mess. Peter, I can't believe you're not catching fish again. Not that kind of prophecy. But when he says, hey, it's the Lord, he's calling, the apostolic immediately is connected with the prophetic word, and he jumps in to go after Jesus full force. Let the prophetic company around you begin to help you come out of the fact that your shame and failure of the crowing rooster is drowning out the voice of your beloved. Verse 15, this is where Jesus begins the restoration of Peter to silence the voice of the crowing rooster and release Peter into the solidified identity that Jesus had been calling him to. Peter, you're the rock. Peter, after you turn back to me, you're going to lead these guys. Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter, put your sword up. Peter, we're going to heal their ear which I don't have time to you, I don't even have time to talk about how the prophetic was skewed and that Peter was trying to cut off the ear of a people so that, uh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm coming back to that. I'm trying to tell y'all. He calls him into this solidified identity, and three times he asks him, do you love me? It's the same number which Peter denied him. Watch this. Watch how Jesus did it. He did it in a safe environment and in honor. He restores Peter in a safe environment and through honor. Study how Jesus handled Judas and look at the honor that Jesus demonstrated even to the one who would betray him so much so that none of the disciples knew why Judas got up and left. I'm not saying John didn't know. Go read that narrative again, and you're going to see the apostolic trying to push the prophetic because Peter taps on John's shoulder, and he's like, hey, ask him who's getting ready to betray him. Peter's like, you know, I've said enough. I've done enough. Ask him who's getting ready to betray him. And John writes that Jesus said, the one who I give this bread to. So John may have known, but he also writes that none of the other disciples knew what Judas had done. He was their treasurer, so they thought that Jesus had sent him to take care of business. What kind of honor does Jesus use for restoration? It's a safe place, and it's honor. Listen, I want to apologize to you as leadership if ever you encountered things, maybe because of failure and maybe because of perceived failure, but I want to apologize to you on behalf of leadership and say I'm sorry if it didn't happen in a place of honor and safety where you could really be restored. And I hope you can hear that today. I want to apologize to you on behalf of leadership who may have not treated you with honor and respect, even in a restoration process. Because that is the way that Jesus does it. And so in honor and in a safe environment, he asks Peter, do you love me? Do you burn 
with affection for me. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic here, not the Greek. And I know there have been hundreds and thousands of sermons preached on the word love, agape, and phileo, and all those things in the Greek. But Jesus used the word in the Aramaic. He was really asking, is there a fire that burns on the inside of you? That's really what that means. Is there a fire of love that burns on the inside of you? Do you burn with affection for me? I'm, I'm, I'm really done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. You remember, you remember when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, I've prayed for you because the devil wants to sift you as wheat. And Peter's like, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison right now and I'm ready to die for you. Jesus could see past the pride. He could see past the arrogance. He could see past all of that to understand that that was really how Peter felt. Peter was not at a place of maturity where he could walk that out, but it really is how he felt. Ryan, why do you say that? Because right after Jesus restores him, he says, Peter, there's going to come a day when you get a little bit older, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch your arms out. And it says that he's prophesying to Peter the way that he would die to glorify God. Jesus was hung on a cross, and that's how they were going to murder Peter. And he said, I'm not worthy to be killed like my Lord, so at least turn me upside down. But God, in his loving kindness, he looks past all of the junk. He looks past all of the pride. He looks past all of the arrogance. He looks past everything that Peter was dealing with. And he says, I see the purity of love that was there, and I'm going to call that out, and I'm going to let you know that I know that it's really how you feel. It's really how you feel. So he explains that this is how Peter would have the ability to fulfill, watch this, that he would have the ability to fulfill what he said in an insecure, inferior Identity. I want to tell you that much of what we deal with in regard to the things of God coming into our life is because of insecurity and inferior identity. I'm always going to act that way. I'm always going to be that way. I'm always going to do that because somebody told you you're always going to be that way. Or somebody looked at your natural behavior or your natural tendencies and said, that's who you are. Are, and that's what you'll be. But I want to tell you, don't live down to a place of insecure, inferior identity when Jesus is declaring over you what he and the Father talked about before time began. This, this is the power of the completed resurrection to bring you into your intended identity as seen by the Father. Listen, I know that that today has not been crazy shouting and running the aisles, but I really hope that you can hear what the Lord is saying to us today, that you can hear that he's prayed for you. And in his prayer and his prophetic declaration, he knows all of the failure, past, present, and future And he still says to you, I want you. I want you.
I want you. He knows. I feel this today. I feel this for parents. I feel this for parents. When I was preparing for this, I just felt, I felt the weight of being a parent. I felt the weight of being able to lead from a place where I can call out destiny in the midst of seeing things that, that don't line up. I felt the weight for you. I felt the weight for my kids. I felt, I felt the weight, and I just want to minister to you today. I just want, to, I want you to let the Holy Spirit minister to you moms today and to you dads that if you're going after him, if you're really going after the Lord and you're really trying to be the best that you know how to be, he comes alongside of you. And I'm not saying it has to do with how you do it. I'm just trying to tell you that for generation after generation after generation, he's been watching over the words that he's spoken over your family to perform them. He's been watching over those words. And I know you feel overwhelmed. I know that. I know that. It's the beauty of kingdom family. It's the beauty of kingdom family. I stand here today and tell you that the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is be a parent. The hardest thing I've ever done. And I can't tell you, I cannot tell you the times that Rebecca and I have had conversations and we've said we have absolutely blown it. And in the same moment, somebody will walk up and they'll say, man, you got great kids. Man, I see who they are. And Rebecca and I are looking at each other and we're like, I have no idea how to even process that in this moment. We were in Reading, and we got to bless another couple to go with us to the leader's advance. It was awesome. And we walked into a coffee shop, and the guy was with me. He said, well, is somebody else, is the owner going to come out here and brag on your kids too today? Because that's, and I told him, I said, man, let me just tell you how the Lord is loving on me right now. Because let, let, let me help you, those of you who have little ones, and you think it's so difficult right now, Wait till you have to turn them loose and allow them to make their own decisions and watch that. I'm just telling you, go ahead and build up those prayers and intercession because there's going to come a time as you're pulling your hair out that you're like, man, I wish they were toddlers again. At least I can pick them up and put them in a playpen or in a bed or something. Shut the door, whatever it is I got to do. Duct tape. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Although I do know church stories where that happened, duct tape. I'm not going to mention any names today. I just, I just know. <laughs> Guys, I want, I want you to understand that as the great intercessor, he's prayed for you. And when you feel like you're not going to make it, and I'm not going to say it for you, I'll say it for me, that he's prayed for me, and when I turn back to him, 
he always, always welcomes me with compassion. It's making the reality of Psalm 139 where he goes in and he turns up the room upside down to look for you. Knowing what he's going to find, he still does it. He looked at Peter. Peter, you're the rock. I rebuke you, Peter. Satan, get behind me. How many of you have used that parenting technique? Seriously. Oh, you did so good. You took a drink. Stop throwing your sippy cup across the floor and getting there. See what I'm doing? Same thing. It's what Jesus does with us. But it's the power that was solidified at resurrection that gives me the ability to walk in restoration. I really am going to stop. I'm not going to do some big long altar call, but I've got so much in me. There's so much more that I, I hope to tell you about this story that, that I feel like the Lord is saying. But I just want to say this. Sometimes it's difficult for us to walk in restoration and believe that the Lord wants to restore us because we don't necessarily offer the gift of restoration to other people. Sometimes that's difficult. And we'll, we'll justify that by saying, I forgive, but I'm definitely not going to forget. And what we really mean is, no, I'm not really going to forgive you. I'm just not going to get close enough to you ever again to let you hurt me. And I'm not saying that you have, don't have to use wisdom and revelation. I'm just saying that Jesus knew before he came to earth that Judas would betray him. And he still honored him. Some of you always say that's why Jesus was perfect and I'm not. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe you're not saying that. Maybe I've said that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he can look at me and he can prophetically pray for me from the finished work of his resurrection. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.